Welcome to episode 94 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, I wanted to share a couple things that have helped me as I have moved into kind of a independent private practice side of doing telepractice. Um, I originally started out as a independent uh, contractor, which I still am, but I kind of didn't use all of the things like my LLC and, you know, um, license and things to do anything other than work for the one company I was working with. So I was like an independent contractor, had my own private practice to do that, but wasn't really using my private practice. And in the last year or so, I've started to see some private clients um, over telepractice and then uh, got my first direct school contract with a school and just like logistically some of the things that have helped me with that have been one of the things has been SLP toolkit so if you're looking to go independent and thinking how will I keep track of data how will I keep you know keep track of my kids how will I move maybe from some of those things that are integrated into a platform I'm using to be having to do it separately and that I think is well worth the investment I have Let's see, I have about 30 progress reports to finish before Monday when this airs. And I'm so grateful that I have those tools to make that process go a lot faster. Um, another thing that is actually free and my sister told me about who um, she owns her own business is it's called Wave. And it is, let me make sure I got it right, that it is Wave. Um, and it is an app and website, a software company with a website that it has free tools like accounting and um, cost reports. And this year I am using it. I have been sitting there with an Excel sheet um, that I kept track of all my business expenses on at the end of the year. And this is so much better than my Excel sheet. Uh, It integrates with your bank. um, So you can pull up things like that. And that's been really helpful for an independent business. And then the other thing has been, oh, and Amy Graham that we had on the podcast, uh, let me know about this, but Square is another thing that you can um, sign up for. It's similar to Wave, but it does allow you to uh, get paid directly from people. And you can also register on there as a healthcare provider. And then you can take HSA cards, which in, um, as I've been doing my private practice, the private clients that I see, I do uh, private pay only. So I'm not taking insurance and don't have to worry about the headaches with that. But when I can advertise to families that they can use an HSA account or an HSA card to pay me that, um, is very appealing to them. So that's another thing that I think has been very helpful. So I hope that helps. If someone's in telepractice and thinking about, I have all, I want to jump into seeing um, some private clients on my own and not just be part of another company. Those are some things that made it easier for me to do that. Yeah, those that awesome suggestions there. Those are great uh, tips. Um, and and we're seeing so much more of that now. I mean, you right. you are doing it, uh, and 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 
sort of jumping out of the nest and building a new business yourself, I, which I totally admire and, and and taking that on. And, and we're seeing that happening, especially because of COVID, obviously with people having to do it uh, more telepractice now thinking I can just work from home now and right. set up my own business. So we definitely are seeing more of that. So yep. uh, great suggestions. Um, I do have a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, this actually came out of the uh, the newsletter, uh, electronic newsletter that ASHA sends out. It's the uh, 60-second advocacy update. So I probably won't be 60 seconds. But uh, uh, one thing that they mentioned in the uh, update was that it looks like they're trying to extend that, that President Biden will extend the public health emergency related to COVID, mainly, uh, well, for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is to be able to extend uh, some of the telehealth services that are available under COVID under the public health emergency. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, excuse me, uh, telehealth under Medicare, um, as well as uh, other areas, but uh, Medicare especially. And the extension is thought to give Congress enough time to make those telehealth, um, all the telehealth uh, that was approved for Medicare to make all of that permanent. Right. So the extension will hopefully lead to legislation, which will then uh, make it permanent. Which I feel like we've been waiting for for <laughs> since almost the beginning of this pandemic. Okay, let's make these things permanent now. We've seen that they work. Yeah. And as we've talked about on the podcast, you know, there's been so much legislation being thrown around over the past year, year and a half. You kind of, you know, your eyes start to cross trying to figure out which <laughs> which is which, you know, and, and they've tried to combine a lot of these bills. And, you know, the, the main thing out of all of that is that there's there's support for telehealth from both sides from both parties and in the house and the senate so i think something's going to happen that will make a lot of these um these uh changes uh, permanent uh that we can get you know, we can bill for telehealth that we can uh, and then certainly ash is a part of all these discussions and advocating for a lot of this too uh, as it affects uh, speech language pathology and audiology. The other thing that I was going to mention that is also in this uh, newsletter is the the audiology and speech language pathology interstate compact that we've talked about on the show too. Uh, it says that bills are currently progressing in Iowa, Missouri, Idaho, Vermont, and Tennessee. So Idaho would be good for you, mm-hmm. especially. Um, but they said, however, legislation is being challenged in South Carolina. So my home state, those hee-haws in the state legislature down there. <laughs> don't get me started on those goobers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and, and the, it says, it's, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I called the state legislators goobers in South Carolina. <laughs> it said they're being challenged by the state medical society. So they are goobers. Um, and so we'll see where, where that goes. And it says that uh, bills in Indiana and Minnesota 
are now facing opposition from their state legislatures. Mm. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but the good thing there is that you know states are continuing to be added to the compact with some states here and there having some issues that hopefully will be worked out soon. Yep. I'm still looking forward to the day that I do not have to keep track of three different licenses. <laughs> I guess four if you count ASHA and my three state licenses. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the commission that was, it was supposed to meet, like, like, was it in January? I think it was to mm. sort of start all this, uh, all this negotiations about how to, how all this is going to play out. And, and they're supposed to come back and have something for us by summer. So Hopefully they're working on all that. Yeah. Um, so on the podcast today, we have Dr. Susan Whitney, Sue Whitney uh, from Pitt, from the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, she's going to talk to us about uh, physical therapy because she's a physical therapist, but she's doing a lot of research looking at vestibular issues and physical therapy. And, and she's using telepractice um, to deliver services and to and to monitor her patients. So it's a uh, very interesting work that she's doing. So Great. let's hear from Sue. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Dr. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Can you explain a little bit more about your background? Of course. Sure. I'm a physical therapist and faculty member at the University of Pittsburgh. And I teach, uh, obviously, physical therapists and physicians. And I primarily treat patients at Iron Ear, uh, in the Iron Ear building, where we see people with balance and vestibular disorders. So that's what I do. And physical therapy. I think everyone who's uh, listening to the podcast, they always want to know sort of that origin story. So what, what led you in that direction? Actually, it was one of those little, I don't know what you call it, like an aptitude test. Mm -hmm. And it said that I would be good as a nurse, as a physical therapist and something else. And I thought, you know what, I, I am not nurse material. So <laughs> I, I thought I, I better, maybe I should find out about this physical therapist thing. And I ended up learning a little bit about it. Uh, at the very end or after the Vietnam War, there were a bunch of young men with amputations that we're playing basketball with my uh, friend and I, because she would go out as a, as an army kind of brat to the, uh, to the facility because she yeah. could get things in the PX. And I met these guys and they talked about PT, went to the PT department and said, you know what, this looks pretty cool. And that's how I got here. So your story is you were trying to pick up guys at <laughs> on the army base. Is that it? <laughs> And so, oh, they... Actually, we were actively engaged with them playing basketball. Okay. okay. <laughs> so that's a, that's a great though. I mean, that's that's a great way to be inspired is to is to have that kind of interaction uh, with with veterans that you know coming back from the war. 
And and so uh, how how has your clinical training gone? I know you're at the University of Pittsburgh now. Um, how did how did uh, academia call you, and and how did you move from being a clinician into academia? Well, I'd say I've always been a clinician, so I've never given that oh. up. You know, Joe, Joe Furman and I always talk about this, that you have to keep mm-hmm. your day job. So I've continued yeah. to treat my entire career. But I actually uh, worked for three years in rehab, and I decided that I wanted to get an advanced degree because I didn't like people telling me what to do. I know it sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but <clears throat> that's who I am, and I'm still mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, you know, this, this isn't working for me. I, I need to get some advanced education. So I came out to the University of Pittsburgh and got my master's degree and became a uh, an athletic trainer at the same time, plus got my master's. And then I, th- I thought, I'm not sure exactly what I want to do. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try. Um, I can try teaching. Tried it for a year and said, you know what, this isn't for me. Uh, so I, I actually quit twice. And the dean and my chair wouldn't accept it and said, you got to keep trying. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was terrible. Uh, so the students just just fried me. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm not tough enough to take this. And they both persuaded me to stay, and I'm still there. That's great. And I love your point, because I've, I've always been in the same mindset that even though we're in academia and doing research and doing other things, if you get too far from the clinical side, you're not being current. You're not staying current with what's going on. And, and I mean, even today with COVID and mental health issues being so prominent and, th- and things along those. If you're not doing clinic every day, you're not seeing those things. You're not experiencing those things. So how can you be a good model for the for the students, the graduate students you're trying to train? Um, so I, I do two days of clinic every week. So I, I'm right with you. And I'm just all in the clinic. I'm all in the <laughs> She's trenches. She's always clinical. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my role. I'm the person that's in the trenches, gives you that perspective. Um, but I was thinking, I'm interested on how you ended up working with balance because I and the vestibular system, because I think that's something that people don't automatically think of when they think of a physical therapist. Well, very early on, this was this was in the late 80s. Joe Furman, who's an MD-PhD who specializes in neurotology uh, as a neurologist, came to a faculty meeting and said, hey, I need somebody to treat my patients because when I send them to the clinic, all they do is they hand them a cane and they tell them to go home. And there's this woman called Faye Horak and Angela McCook, and they're doing some things and we should be doing that too. And what that did was that uh, there were two of us that signed up uh, to, to work with Joe, and one lasted, I'd say, maybe a month or two, and she said, ah, this isn't for me, and I continue to work with Joe, so I always tell, tell people he's my work husband. We've worked <laughs> together almost as long as I have uh, been with my real husband. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Think about all the, all the patients you've been able to, to, to serve in that time. I know, and he gives me the special ones too. So uh, I, it's really, I, I get bored easily. So it's really been a wonderful experience because I get to see things that are really complex and intellectually challenging. And that's really a good way to keep me engaged. So would you mind elaborating? So what's a recent case that was that was more complex without giving away names or uh, identification, but just kind of describe some of those tough cases 
and then maybe how telepractice plays into some of this. Well, this gentleman, the most recent really interesting case uh, was a guy who I did actually do a lot of things over the phone with, and eventually we saw each other face to face, but he was exposed to directed energy uh, which is the, if you've heard of the uh, Havana syndrome. Havana syndrome, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so he, since I, I did a, a talk for um, the National Academy of Science in, in DC, he, he is one of the persons exposed was allowed to listen to what we, we said. Um, and then he contacted me and I ended up writing up his case. And later what happened was he came to Pittsburgh to see me, which was fascinating. And what we did was we used some technology that actually can be used in telehealth, which is an app that we're developing uh, for the Department of Defense. And he did terrible on it. He, he was doing that exercise, the VOR times one exercise. And when people do that, even if you're looking at them straight on, it's hard to tell whether they're really on the target. And what this app does is it uses facial recognition and eye recognition software to determine if you're doing the exercise properly. What was fascinating was he came in and he had been doing the exercise at 180 degrees per second, which is super fast. And we only had him do it for our study at 80 beats per minute. What was fascinating was he did terrible. And he, he was like, I don't understand. I should, I should be like doing great on this. And what, what we found was when we went back into the real data file was that every time he moves his head from nose straight to the right and from, from head right to straight, he couldn't keep his eyes on the target. But he could when he moved this way, here to here. And so he had been doing the exercise for about three years and he wasn't capable of keeping his eyes on the targets. Now we have to think about how, how can we fix the problem? So we've actually now identified what his problem is, which is why he's so, I think the reason, one of the reasons at least why he's so fatigued and why he still gets headaches. So we use this technology that you can use virtually. And that's, that's the original design so that you could download this app. You could use it on your tablet at home. Uh, you could use it in theater, which is what the, the government designed it for. And uh, so he, he was incredibly fascinating and a really nice guy. So we're trying to, to see if we can come up with some strategies to figure out how can we fix the problem of keeping his eyes on the target when he goes this direction, because obviously he can do it this way. So we're in the process of writing up that case uh, that that kind of interesting finding that we discovered. That's what um, Havana syndrome was not where I thought you were going to go. But when we <laughs> said come up with an interesting case, mm-hmm. but that is definitely unique and interesting and something that I've been fascinated by that whole concept and that they can't figure it out where it's right. coming from. <laughs> the and, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. So there's a cascade of symptoms that sound like they've had a concussion, mm-hmm. but it's not specific. I mean, if you, I've treated a lot of people with post-concussive disorder, but it doesn't quite fit that profile either. Right. It doesn't fit the my, vestibular migraine profile, but they're, they're clearly have significant um, deficits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've heard like, was it intrasound, ultrasound? Um, it's it's what's what's the um, use of sound that some animals have 
that we can't hear it, but it, it uses to, um, right. like echolocation the, kind of thing, not, not the echolocation. This is like infrasound, I think is what, uh, some animals have the ability to do. And it kind of stuns the prey that they're tracking or confuses them. Um, and, and then I've heard, you know, everything from microwave to, to electromagnetic pulses and all kinds of things. And, and with your background, what, and what, how this case is presenting itself, what do you think it, it's going on? I don't think anybody knows because I've read just about everything that's declassified. Uh, there's, there's a lot more information, I think, than the three of us will ever right. have information about. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I, everything now is is classified. So I was very mm-hmm. lucky to actually be able to get my hands on on him to to take a look at him. So that was a, a very special case that I had. And, and another interesting one recently was a person with canvas. Mm-hmm. That's the cerebellar ataxy with bilateral vestibulopathy, and they also have the uh, the sensory loss. And mm-hmm. those folks are just uh, a real challenge because you can't feel and you don't have a vestibular system and everything bounces and it's it's just a, a real challenge and it's a highly uh, a, a brilliant person who has this problem and he is willing to do anything that we can imagine to try and help him get better that's incredible yeah that's that's so yeah that's really devastating in terms of you know someone trying to be productive and, and just can't because I would imagine they're just can't really function very well in a situation like that. Well, his sister has it um, and she mm-hmm. can't function well at all. He apparently says that compared his, it's his older sister mm-hmm. and that um, he feels that he's doing a lot better than she did five, mm-hmm. you know, cause she's five years older. So he kind of was thinking where is she at versus me, right. but you know, we're really trying to optimize his function so that he can continue to, to work and, and do the things that he loves to do. But it's, it's a real challenge. And what we're, we meaning another physical therapist I work with and I and him are trying to figure out, is there any way that we can really, especially help his, his vision? Because if he can see better when he walks and moves, um, he'll be much more functional. Well, talk to us about how you've integrated telehealth into your practice and and how did that start? Well, it started with the pandemic officially, but (laughs) I've been doing it unofficially for years illegally, but usually with uh, people from other countries. We we won't tell, we won't tell anybody. (laughs) Well, no, I I mean, if they're from another country, I feel feel like they can't come after me for this. Right. So when people from other countries would contact me, I'd figure, hey, the, the probability of me being sued is low, so I can go ahead and try and help them. And and they had to be bright and really highly motivated to track me down. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been doing telehealth that way for, for years. Uh, officially, where, where you get paid and you, you don't go to jail because mm-hmm. you do it the right way, I've done since right. the pandemic. Uh-huh. Gotcha. <laughs> And, and that I do correctly uh, with the right platform and all that other stuff. Yeah. And it's it's been a challenge. There are some people that I think works great for who have vestibular disorders. And there are others that I'm a little bit more fearful about. Uh, we just published a paper about COVID and telehealth in uh, the practice of, of physical therapy with people with balance and vestibular disorders. 
And the goal was to try and figure out a little bit about who you should see and who you shouldn't see. What were some things that you should be concerned about uh, related to telehealth and the, the things that the person brings to the situation? Yeah. So what some of the things that do go into that decision making process for you? Well, the, the biggest thing is, well, there's a couple really critical things, just like you guys know, too. Uh, if they can't understand me and can't follow directions or can't get the darn thing turned on, it's a disaster. Right. Um, I have had I have literally I'm going to show you this. I had a guy and this was recently. He's a young tech guy. Right. So I, I'm like, OK, I need to look at your eyes. I need to look at your eyes. Can you go up a little bit? He's just moving the phone all over the place. I wanted to just grab the phone. Oops, I've got the flashlight on. I wanted to just grab the phone and like glue it to his face and say, this is what I want you to do. And it's smart, but I think he had a little bit of ADHD. And there was no way he was understanding what I wanted him to do. Right. So, so even though he's smart and young, he, he was anxious and it was a disaster. So, so that's, that's number one hurdle. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the people that, uh, one of the biggest problems that we have as physical therapists is we usually want to see them walk. And if they fall mm-hmm. down, it's not usually a good idea to do that without some, to do anything other than walk. Uh, like we have a lot of people walk them through their head and do things like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's almost suicidal to do uh, with mm-hmm. telehealth because how can you, you can't exactly have them hold the phone and move their head and walk down the hall. So right. when you start to talk about doing multiple tasks, uh, dual tasks while walking, it becomes incredibly complex and, and I think somewhat dangerous for some people. Without, without an assistant there or something, yeah. Correct. Well, and yeah, but even if even if you have an assistant, if you got a ninety year old walking with a ninety year old, uh, <laughs> is that a good, good plan? Right. Um, maybe, maybe because there are some really strong, well, you know, capable uh, persons who are ninety years old, but there are some who are pretty frail, and frail right. and frail equals a disaster because then you can two people go down. So, so that's that's a. That's one, I guess the biggest concern to me is are they going to fall during a telehealth visit if I ask them to do something that's really hard? You know, right. We can set up things pretty safe for standing. I, can, I think most of the time you can do that. Uh, I think you can, you know, if you can get them to understand, you might be able to see their eye movements, but that's pretty hard sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Because you got to get pretty close to be able to see somebody's eyes and see what's going on. Yeah, so you were talking about some um, instrumentation with that too, using some apps and things like that, technology to to do that. And we've talked about that with speech too. A lot of times we're just relying on our own perception of where the tongue is for the sound, but you know, starting to use some instrumentation so we have that objective data. Talk more about that and what you guys are using over telehealth. Well, experimentally, we've got this this thing called Vestade that can can actually uh, record the accuracy of your saccades and your smooth pursuits, and can also look at uh, the the VOR function. So there are capabilities to do that. It's just most of that stuff is still pretty experimental, Um, and but if if this company can ever get it out in the market, you. You typically could then just download the app and either, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they're going to do. They've talked about either having the 
a clinician download the app and mm-hmm. um, and kind of provide it to the patient uh, for mm-hmm. a fee or whatever, or have the patient just download the app and use the service and pay a monthly fee for when they need it. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure what model that they're going to do, but that, that, that makes the most sense uh, to me in terms of a business model. But, uh, you know, that's their choice. I, I've, I've mm-hmm. just been their consultant to try and make this all happen. And I, I do have to disclose, I am on the patent too, but I'm sure I'll never get a penny from it. It's just, <laughs> it was just, just cool to do. Right. But, but, but the whole idea is, is that you can actually, you can give people feedback and you can, one of the things I like, Kim, is that um, like the Narcom, if you remember, it had uh, had like little bars that's kind of said you did good or you're like mm-hmm. not so good, right? It was pretty simple. What what. In the design, what we did was we made a pie chart and, and green was good, red was bad, and yellow is like close. And, mm-hmm. and you can you get percentages. So mm-hmm. patients could actually see their score for how they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that the, the therapist can also see how they did. And mm-hmm. one of the things, one of the ideas that somebody actually suggested to me at a recent meeting where I showed this was, uh, the, like you guys in, in, in audiology, you guys have this thing where uh, I think it's called a pest uh, algorithm or whatever. But but what you can do is is if somebody does well, you can bump them up. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that if somebody did well with the exercises, rather than waiting a week to come back or two weeks to see me, right. uh, even through telehealth, what what could happen is if you did your exercise performance at ninety to one hundred percent accuracy, okay. Uh, for three days in a row, it would automatically go up a certain amount so that by the time they came back, they might actually be much better because they actually were able to work at their max or mm-hmm. faster get to their max mm-hmm. uh, by by actually advancing them. So it's kind of a neat concept to be able to do that, that through machine learning, you can actually figure out, uh, you know, it's time to make it harder. It's too easy for Sue Whitney. Let's let's uh, up, up the game here a little bit. Right. I'm wondering what it, when you're talking about the that either if the um, clinician is going to download the app or the consumer is going to download the app themselves. That got me thinking about how do you feel as a professional knowing that some people might get the app and never see a professional, and how do we like balance that? You know, making sure that people have access to an app and don't see it as a replacement for seeing a professional. Well, that's so there is that possibility that that can happen. What what some manufacturers are doing is giving the PTS to give a code that you then use with the app. Um, so that's that's a way to actually um, solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And, and truly, if somebody gets better without the the therapist, that's good, too. Yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> you know, Do you feel like they should only use it with with a, a physical therapist? I, I don't know. I don't know what's best. But what I do know is that uh, we'd have to answer that question because right. it is possible that somebody can get better on their own. We, I mean, we right. know that most people who have a vestibular disorder, they, they never find a physical therapist because they get better on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen tons of people who have an acute neuritis and a week later they're back at work. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they say, oh my God, I now I know what your patients experience, but they're okay. It's the mm-hmm. ones who don't get better are the ones who find me. And right. my guess is, is that the ones who 
don't get better probably need a lot more than just doing one one or two or three exercises. Yeah, uh, it's the whole package, and that's that's part of what we're trying to learn. Uh, I don't know how much you, you do this in audiology or in speech and language pathology, but part of what we do are components of cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, and the exercise itself. So it's, it's, and Carrie Balban, who's a genius uh, that I've worked with for years, has always looked at me and said, Sue, I don't know what gets them better. I don't know whether it's the exercises or it's because they saw you, or is it both? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the magic that we as clinicians have that, that when we listen well and number one, provide the right exercise and also provide the right support so that they can, they can heal. Um, it may be that magic combination that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we have some kind of equivalence of that in speech too. Like there's people that are like, Oh, this app will teach your kid how to talk. Or my favorite is this, this iPad will cure autism. (laughs) Kind of. I, I know you, you're surprised, but we've seen and heard those claims and, and, you know, kind of thinking about in education as well. I feel like we have to be critical thinkers and teach people to be critical thinkers because that's the thing that a computer is never going to be able to do. And like you talked about, you know, integrating what you know about that patient with what you know about balance or speech or language um, to be able to integrate those is something a computer is not going to be able to do. And I think is where we still come in and don't get replaced. Mm -hmm. Right. And there may be some times that we should be replaced. And I think we have to think about that too. You know, there are things that maybe are simple that maybe don't need you, but there are a lot of things that do need you. And that's what all of us have to discover. Uh, When is it necessary to have a skilled professional uh, in the room to really help improve the outcome. And when can maybe an app do it? And I think all of us have to start thinking that way because that's the way the world is going. Oh, exactly. And I was, as you were just uh, explaining the app and and the patient working in between appointments at their potential, you know, I can see how, you know, uh, AI would be involved in right. monitoring and, you know, and setting new goals or new targets you know, without the professional maybe involved at, uh, at that point, but maybe a week later, you know, then they're looking at, as you were saying earlier, looking at the results and what has happened over the past week and AI sort of driving the process and, and you're sort of monitoring the, the big picture. Yeah, we're actually doing that for the military right now, mm-hmm. uh, developing some software to, to be able to, to use AI to make decisions about exercise progression and mm-hmm. what to start with. It's made many physical therapists nervous about doing that. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, if we can get care to wounded warriors quicker because mm-hmm. there aren't enough uh, physical therapists trained, then we're, we're doing a good thing for our government and for, for the people who work for us. Right. And so you've, you said this is going to be the future. What If you had to look 10 years down the road and thinking about physical therapy, what would you describe the, you know, the average physical therapy, a physical therapist will be doing what in terms of technology? What do you think? 
Oh, I think that people have to embrace, embrace technology. Uh, we're, uh, I have absolutely no doubt that everybody's going to be using sensors all over the place. Like yourself, my cell phone I use every day that has a lovely little sensor that tells me how many steps I take. I use it every day. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, and I check it a couple times a day, right? <laughs> um, and that's without my little accelerometers. They're, they're used, talking about using, uh, you know, devices in the home that you can look at gate speed. You know, there's just, you know, you've got smart homes. We've got, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's smart audiological devices too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and speech and language devices, but uh, the technology is here. It's here to stay. And uh, I think that te- telehealth is here to stay without a doubt, um, regardless of whether Medicare says they want to pay for it. I think that we right. have to pay for it because people want it. Right. It's so much easier. Uh, and, and with, you know, with speech and language, when you've got five kids and you could, kind of keep the other four busy on the television and you can walk over in the quiet room and work with your child and do what you need to, you're going to get those kids to come in and get the care they need because they're going to do it through telehealth, right. you know, and the older adult who can't, who can't get transport in, is going to be much more likely to, to engage with me through telehealth for their balance issues because they either can't get a ride in or they don't want to bother somebody to, to take them into the clinic because who wants to drive into the inner city where I work, right, to see Sue Whitney. But, you know, if you can see Sue Whitney on your, on your uh, computer, that's a win. So it's here to stay and going to get bigger and bigger. I agree. I agree 100%. Well, Sue, now is the most important aspect of our conversation today. Okay. What's that? So... <laughs> So this is the the part I didn't tell you about. So I want you to uh, pick uh, either A, B, or C. C. Ooh. So you probably have heard of the Proust questionnaire. You know, Proust, the famous French playwright, had an original questionnaire. He asked all of his actors and and others. We've adapted a lot of that. And so we have a few questions we want to ask you just to get to know you just more on a personal level kind of thing. Okay. Uh, just to l- learn more about you. Um, and so you can answer in any way you, you choose. Okay. So list numbers, letter C, letter C, not number C, letter C. Question one is where did you grow up and how did that affect the person you became? Okay. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and I'm not sure that it was the location, but it's the people that surround you that, that affect mm-hmm. of who you become. Um, and I have always liked to explore and learn new things. And I think that probably would happen regardless of, of where I lived. But uh, grew up in a great home with uh, you know two brothers and a sister, and we, we had a lot of fun. Great, great. Uh, second question is, if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? Oh, I love to travel. Anybody mm. who knows me knows that. Yeah, I, I, I love to go new places and learn new things. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, and I'm hoping with the reopening of our society now after COVID or tolerating COVID, whatever stage we're at with the COVID <laughs> pandemic, I guess, um, we, I'm glad that we will be able to do some more traveling. Um, question three, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? 
probably probably that meeting you were Gosh, telling me about. <laughs> really, that's exactly right. It was the audiology meeting for you. That's right. That's right. Good. It was. Good. Um, Next question is, what do people misunderstand about you? What do you think? Misunderstand. Hmm. I would say that I'm a highly driven woman that seems like they're totally confident who isn't all that confident deep down. <laughs> She's been faking it all along. Oh, I have that imposter syndrome like so many others. Mm. Yes, I do. You mean you don't grow out of that at some point? I keep on hoping to grow out of it <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Uh, it's always like always right there, isn't it? <laughs> be in the room or not. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's right. Um, what is a common myth about your job or industry? That everybody gets better with vestibular disorders. And that's not true. Yeah, some, some unfortunately won't. Mm-hmm. Um, what challenge in life shaped you the most? What challenge? Picking up boys at the army base <laughs> certainly had an impact because it led you in a basketball game was very that basketball yeah, <laughs> led you in a certain direction, right? It did. Um, I, 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 I'm trying to think because, because I, if there's a challenge, I usually go right at it, full steam ahead. Um, I think one of the hardest challenges I self-made, and that was that when I was a PhD student, I wrote, wrote a grant and said, it was, you know, in yourself, whatever, I said, you know, uh, I wanted to be one of the best in the world at balance and vestibular disorders, which was pretty darn lofty to be sitting there saying as an, you know, as a PhD student. And I have worked for the last probably 30 years since then to try and be one of the best in the world. That is, that is great. That is awesome. Um, when are you the most productive? So like morning, oh, morning, morning. Oh my God. Or, yeah. Yeah. I'm on brain dead in the evening. <laughs> I'm really hot hot at 5 a.m., man. I can really crank. <laughs> I'm right with you. That's sort of what I am better at myself. Um, what's your favorite comfort food? I'd say spaghetti and meatballs. Nice. Good choice. Next to last, so two more questions. Do you have a life motto or a favorite All, quote? I do. All they can do is say no. Excellent. Excellent. So the last question, and this is the one of Prowse's original questions. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. Not keep on walking. You're just welcome. Come on in. That's exactly take, right. take the elevator down. No. <laughs> yes, we all want to be welcomed. Uh, well, Sue, thank you. It's been a wonderful 
pleasure uh, talking with you and hearing more about what you're doing. I think your the work that you're doing is just fascinating. And I hope uh, you'll come back in the future and share more. Sounds great. Good luck to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Dr. Susan Whitney from the University of Pittsburgh. I'm continuing to learn so much about physical therapy and different aspects of all of the allied health professionals. And it gives me such a wider view of what telepractice is and how people are using it to serve the patients that they're serving. And so I just really appreciate her being with us. And I appreciate you being with us as well. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to grow the program, grow this podcast. And I thank you for doing that. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.